This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on June 28th, 2022. Thanks for joining us for the Tuesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. Top Gun Maverick crosses the $1 billion mark. We'll cover that in our next segment, but right now we're talking primary election day here in Illinois. We welcome Greg Hines, columnist at Crane's Chicago Business. And Greg, a later election, primary election day for Illinois being in June, and it's certainly setting the stage for November. What are some key races that we're keeping an eye on today? Well, the big one, obviously, is the race for governor. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, the Democratic incumbent, is uh, trying uh, to get himself reelected. And uh, six Republicans are vying for rights to uh, to challenge him. If uh, if you believe the polls, is going to be a little bit of an upset on the Republican side. The, the uh, apparent winner, again, at least according to the polls, is not going to be uh, uh, Richard Irvin, the mayor of Aurora, who got $50 million bucks from a Chicago hedge fund guy. Ken Griffin. Instead, it's going to be a downstate conservative, uh, it looks like, uh, Darren Bailey, a state senator. Uh, his win, if he pulls it off, is going to be historic. It's, it's going to represent a real turn to the right uh, in uh, Republican politics. Uh, he's the guy Pritzker wanted to run against. Uh, Pritzker and the Democratic Governor Association put a lot of money uh, behind Bailey. Uh, we'll see if they know what they were doing. And there's other races, too. Uh, I'm thinking specifically U.S. Senate. I know there's uh, some contentious races there. Um, it's not so much the Senate racial. Uh, Tammy Duckworth, the Democratic incumbent, is, has only has token opposition. Uh, there is a uh, Republican race to take her on, but none of the contenders are well known. The real marquee stuff on, uh, at the congressional level is in the House, where you have uh, uh, two, two sets of primaries in the state where Democratic incumbents uh, are facing each other, and downstate two Republicans are taking on each other. Uh, then you have a, a an open seat where Bobby Rush is, is vacating. You have a new Latino seat up in the north side in the third district. All those are pretty good contests. And what are we expecting as as far as voter turnout? I know that primary elections tend to have lower numbers, but I'm curious too with with the timing of Illinois' primary being in in the summer. What we're expecting as far as turnout today? Uh, preliminary indications are it's going to be light, uh, as you might expect. Uh, people are now thinking about. Uh, vacations and uh, trips and uh, going to the beach uh, uh, more so than they would in in, um, in March when we usually vote. Uh, but it doesn't look like it'll be abysmally low. Uh, when it gets abysmally low, all kinds of surprises happen. But uh, but uh, I think it's fair to say that we're by no means going to have a record turnout. It's going to be on a low side. Any other races uh, that are of note or that might uh, have an upset to, to keep an eye on? Yeah, one I think of particular significance to your listening audience, Noon Business Hour, is the race for Cook County Assessor uh, between Fitz Kagey and uh, Carrie Steele, who's the uh, chair of the Water District, the Reclamation District uh, Board. Um, Kagey has uh, bragged about shifting the property tax load uh, to business from individual homeowners 
carries uh, carries steals in the cage, he'd do something different. That one's worth watching because uh, uh, a lot of business guys uh, are really concerned about uh, what's happening to the property tax bills under Mr. Kagi. Whether or not that's going to transit into votes against him, however, is far from certain. That's Greg Hines, a columnist at Crane's Chicago Business, a reminder that we'll have nonstop election coverage tonight here on WBBM starting when the polls close at 7 o'clock. Coming up with 4th of July less than a week away, fireworks are on the minds of many. Discussing the news affecting your money, the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's now the top grossing film for Tom Cruise. Top Gun Maverick is a huge hit at the box office around the world. Joining us to discuss is Paul DeGarabedian, a senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore based in Los Angeles. And uh, Paul, admittedly, uh, I might be like one of the only people on the planet that hasn't seen this movie because it seems like people are flocking to the box office for Top Gun. They really are, Rachel. And the movie has been out for about a month. And it's earned a billion dollars worldwide. That happened over this weekend. So you still have time to see it because I suspect this is a movie. It's going to be in theaters for a very long time before it winds up at home on the small screen. And we have the 4th of July weekend coming up. And I think this is a movie that will resonate particularly well over the 4th of July weekend. So it's the first billion dollar movie for Tom Cruise. I know that seems kind of astonishing considering his career, but it is. And also Top Gun Maverick gave Cruz his first $100 million opener domestically. So this is just a great time in Tom Cruise's career, some 40 years into his career and getting his top grossing movie ever. Pretty amazing. And here's the other thing about this movie is I've read that it's drawn audiences back to the theaters. And I'm specifically thinking of the older demographic. And I think it's because there's a lot of nostalgia here with the movie. My parents went and saw it. They were like, oh, yeah, there's music and there's references. It was uh, it was really fun to sort of make that that parallel between the original Top Gun. And I think that's really important, Rachel, because We had thought perhaps the more mature or older audiences would stay away from theaters for a very, very long time because of health concerns. And obviously, this was a movie not just aimed at 18 to 24-year-olds. And this is a mandate in favor of the fact that Hollywood should be making more movies that appeal to the more mature demographics, people over 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 even, uh, whatever your age range is. Top Gun Maverick proves that if you create the right movie and like you mentioned, the nostalgia factor, and also it's a really good movie. I think it should be nominated for best picture. I think that's how you would get a lot more viewership for the Academy Awards. And it's a worthy movie of that kind of accolade or those accolades. So yeah, it's really important movie for Hollywood because it says, don't give up on certain demographics. These more mature viewers are coming out to the theater to see this movie which means they'll come out to see more movies in the future. And that's really good news for movie theaters. Just like this biopic, the new Elvis movie, that totally fits the bill, right, of of that nostalgia hitting an older demographic, but introducing a younger generation to some of the history behind that music. Uh, I think it also is, is making sense why it's sort of neck and neck now with Top Gun. Oh, yeah. And you make a great point. I think all those factors came into play. Baz Luhrmann's vision of Elvis is decidedly energetic and visually stunning. So younger people will gravitate toward that look and style of the movie, and it fixates on the younger Elvis. But then for older audiences who grew up with Elvis, this hits 
on all cylinders there as well for for the more mature audiences. So between Elvis and Top Gun Maverick and even the Batman, which was definitely, I think, a movie that had more appeal to more mature audiences based on, you know, the Batman, very dark movie, very brooding, very intense. But I think the more mature viewers are back. But you know what? You got to give people a reason to go to the movie theater. And Hollywood is trying to do that after two years where we really didn't have a summer movie season at all. Now the summer movie season is back and in a really big way. Thanks so much, Paul. Degara Bairdian, a senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore. Up next, we get the latest from the man behind America's largest fireworks retailer. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Fireworks retailers are as busy as ever. Joining us with the latest is Bruce Zoldin, president and CEO of Phantom Fireworks, based out of Youngstown, Ohio. Now, Bruce, you've been in the business for quite some time, and I find this interesting that that the pandemic was some welcomed news for for fireworks retailers. Well, thank you, Rachel, for having me. And yes, uh, the pandemic did help unexpectedly uh, the consumer side of the fireworks industry. Uh, We have two sides, the professional display shelves for the big shows for cities and parks and the consumer side for backyard fireworks and families celebrating in their backyard with barbecues and picnics. And the consumer side, the fact that nobody traveled uh, for the last two years, stayed at home, um, protected themselves from the COVID virus, made more Americans celebrate with consumer fireworks, and it benefited our side of the industry. Unfortunately, it did harm the other side for the two years, but they're making a comeback now, and uh, we work together jointly, and we're happy for that side of the business. Now, have you been infected, affected rather by inflation and supply chain issues? And if so, what does that look like? Are prices going up? There is no question that we're affected with these inflation and, and price increases, primarily from shipping. Our containers in uh, 2019, just before COVID, were we were paying 11000 a container for consumer fireworks from China, a 40-foot container. Um, and that, this year, we're paying close to 40000 a container, so three and a half times more for shipping. And in many cases, um, the product on the ship is less than the uh, shipping charges themselves for the container, which is really ridiculous. Now, obviously, we're in a much different place than we were, say, two years ago when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic. However, I know some large cities are still canceling their large Fourth of July professional displays. So do you anticipate from from the household, the the small consumer standpoint, that that they won't be deterred by the inflation and still want to do those smaller at-home celebrations? Yes, we're hearing more and more from customers. I'm, I go to visit many of my uh, stores throughout the country, and I talk to customers. And many said they had planned summer trips. They were going to Europe or they were going somewhere else. And because of the challenges with, with uh, flights, the it, more expensive hotel rooms, the gas prices, they decided to once again have a backyard party with family, friends, neighbors, and um, celebrating with consumer fireworks. We're seeing that start to hit heavy in our stores now. We were down uh, customer count-wise, transaction count-wise in May and early June, and we were thinking, well, this will be a more realistic uh, year for consumer fireworks. But now we're seeing it 
turn, and it looks like it's going to be even better uh, than last year. Um, of course, we won't know until Tuesday morning, uh, July 5th, but I'm, that's what we think right now, that it'll be a, another big year for consumer fireworks. Thanks so much, Bruce Zoldin, president and CEO of Phantom Fireworks, based out of Youngstown, Ohio. Still ahead, we'll have some tips for families that are hitting the road for the holiday weekend and then being prepared for the financially unexpected. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The House panel investigating the Capitol insurrection will hear testimony today. More coming up in a CBS News special report. With the markets down today, we'll talk about what's driving Wall Street at this hour. And if you're hitting the road this holiday weekend, we have a few tips on how you can save some money. WBBM Business, the Dow down 257 points, the NASDAQ down 250, and the S&P 500 is down 50 points. AccuWeather says sunny skies this afternoon with a high of 85 degrees, low 66 tonight with some rain showers, maybe a thunderstorm in spots. Then again, sunny skies tomorrow, high of 85. It'll hold in the upper 70s, though, along the lakefront. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's 1231. CBS News special report. The January 6th committee is back on Capitol Hill today for a surprise hearing featuring a witness with unique access to the White House. Wyoming Republican Liz Cheney with more on Cassidy Hutchinson. In her role working for the White House Chief of Staff, Ms. Hutchinson handled a vast number of sensitive issues. She worked in the West Wing, several steps down the hall from the Oval Office. Hutchinson now testifying before the panel. It's difficult to describe a typical day. Um, I was a special assistant to the president and an advisor to, advisor to the chief of staff. The days depended on what the president was doing that day, and that's kind of how my portfolio was reflected. CBS's Robert Costa is covering this hearing. Cassidy Hutchison had a front row seat. Uh, based in my own reporting over the past few years, this is someone who seemed to always be at Mark Meadows' side. We'll have more coverage throughout the afternoon. CBS News Special Report, I'm Monica Ricks. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The WBBM Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Stocks are trading lower after opening somewhat higher this morning. Joining us with the latest on what's moving Wall Street is Brian Battle, director at Performance Trust Capital Partners and advisor at PT Asset Management here in Chicago. Brian, what can we attribute to some of the dips that we're now seeing this afternoon? Yeah, Rachel, we're we're selling off today a little bit. Um, uh, it is attributable to two things. First is there has been consumer confidence, which is a lot of what drives market is people's ability or people's opinion that things are going to get better or worse. So consumer confidence sank to a 16-month low, which is a, a feeling that the consumer is not sure where things are, and so that, that reduces the momentum in the economy. So less buying, less selling, less investing. And that has been reflected in the broader indices. As uh, you reported earlier, there's a sell-off. But let's make sure that we understand that year to date, 
it's been painful. We have about the worst first half since in the 70s. So if the S&P 500, worst, worst for six months of the year. And so fortunately, we're getting, hopefully we're getting through the first half of the year will be over. But in context, though, remember, in the past year, the S&P is down 10%. In the past six months, it's down 19%. So in a little bit longer time horizon, still a sell-off, still a correction. But um, a lot of what the market is giving back now is a lot of just the euphoric rally that happened in 2021. And again, this this sort of momentum that we saw from a bear market bounce back, it is starting to fizzle, at least if you look at today. That's right. And we always have to look at markets in longer term. So, you know, intraday, and I think we've had this discussion on the, on the, the station and, and this program before, is that when there's high a degree of uncertainty, so is inflation permanent? You know, we just had a measurement of inflation that's really, really high, uh, in the, depending on how you measure it. But in the eight, let's say it's 8 to 10 percent range. Is that permanent, permanent or temporary? Is the Federal Reserve going to keep raising rates? You know, at the beginning of the year, the mortgage rate was 3.5%. Now it's closer to 5.5%. And then, so are these things permanent or temporary? Are rates going to go up? And that gives people some confidence, like, oh, things are great. And then another data point will come out, and then it'll cause selling. So there's going to be a lot of, I guess it's a trite to say, there'll be a lot of volatility. But now, particularly, this is particularly true, because the conditions, we can compare ourselves to the 70s, but the conditions and the market and the economy in the 70s are completely non-analogous. You cannot be compared to today, because the facts are so different. The economy is so much more complicated, and the investor pool is so much more bigger. You mean China wasn't on a COVID lockdown in the 1970s? That's right. There was some relief today. That's a great point you bring up. China has relaxed some of their COVID restrictions. You used to have to quarantine for three weeks. You went in and out of the country. Now it's 10 days. But that might change tomorrow also. So all these data points, you know, it's all it's all bad news, which should give us some comfort that like maybe this bad news is getting out of the market and maybe we're near the bottom. But I'm going to hesitate to say that because we're still only halfway through the year and there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. Is inflation going to, most importantly, is inflation going to persist? And are, do people confident or not confident in their own personal conditions? And so how investors feel is really important to how the stock market does. And on the same note of confidence, I want to sort of shift gears into, into cryptocurrency because we're seeing hedge funds now shorting uh, Tether. So can you explain what's happening there and why? Yeah, so in crypto land, there are currencies like Bitcoin and things everyone's familiar with. And some currencies like Tether say, or put a flag in the ground, say Tethers will not be worth any less than a dollar a unit. So they sort of put a flag in the ground that Tether's worth a dollar. And if if there's weakness in that currency, that cryptocurrency, there can be challenges. So the hedge funds or opportunistic investors can sell Tether and try and put it under pressure to break that pledge and force the price down. So there, it, this is a very typical, very traditional, very ordinary market activity where people can try and short tether to try and make it go down and take advantage of that. They will be met with plenty of people to say, that is a bad idea, and we'll try and buy it and support it. So um, there's nothing nefarious going on here, but that's exactly what's happening is there's a challenge to their ability to, to be stable, because it's a stable coin, and uh, the market will play that out. And that's exactly how it's supposed to go. The market will decide whether Tether is a good currency, a good stable coin, or a bad one. Is it indicative of other forms of cryptocurrency, this lack of confidence that we're seeing? So one of the things that has caused 
everything to rally the past year is so how much money is in the system, either from the Federal Reserve holding rates down or Congress just printing money and handing it out like crazy in trillions. So bonds rallied, stocks rallied, um, baseball cards rallied, you know, collector cars rallied, everything increased in value. So as these supportive things have ended, as interest rates start to go up, there's no more stimulus from Washington, D.C. At the edges, at the margin, we're starting to see some of these more speculative investments degrade, like, hey, maybe that baseball card isn't worth $5 million or that, you know, we're starting to see some of that happen at the edge. So this is, yes, to answer the question directly, the challenges to some of the cryptocurrencies are a function of maybe things getting back to more fundamental valuation. Thanks so much. Brian Battle, Director at Performance Trust Capital Partners and Advisor at PT Asset Management. Up next, many are expected to hit the roads this holiday weekend, so we'll tell you how to make sure your vacation goes smoothly. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A record number of people are expected to take 4th of July road trips. Joining us with what you need to know is Cindy Richards, Editor-in-Chief of TravelingMom.com, based here in Chicago. Cindy, a lot of people packing up the kids, hitting the road, not going terribly far, but doing something to celebrate Independence Day. Absolutely. You know, there's still a lot of pent-up demand for travel. And road trips are always the uh, option of choice for families because you can put everybody in the car and you're all together and you have a lot of control over when and whether you're going to get there. Okay, but we don't necessarily have control over how many other people have the same idea. The roads are going to be just packed with people this weekend. So what are some things to keep in mind to prepare for that, that trip? Well, you know, we have all heard the recommendations travel when other people aren't. So, you know, if you can go late at night, if you can go a day early, not wait till Friday after work to leave on your trip, that's all good. But there are other things to even think about, like make sure your car's up for the trip. You know, everyone thinks about check the air in the tires and make sure the windshield wiper fluid is full. But it's it's never a bad idea to take your car to a mechanic and have them give it a once-over. We've got a whole story on TravelingMom.com about um, that's a road trip checklist of what you should check in your car before you go. And with the heat these days, I think make sure they check the air conditioner. I had a friend who was just road tripping through South Dakota in 100-degree weather, and the air conditioning went out on her car. Oh, it no. was not a recipe for fun. <laughs> I unfortunately can say that I've experienced something similar in an Arizona desert. So yes, uh, well, well worth, well worth the preparation there. The other thing too, depending on how far you're going, I got to think that keeping the kids occupied is is a priority for parents. Oh, absolutely. And you know, we all think about the iPads and download the movies. That's great. You want to make sure you have some car chargers so that they don't run out of gas. Um, you know, for not only their iPads, but for your phone, too. So you've got directions. I'm a big believer in bringing a paper map because you never know when you're going to get somewhere and the GPS, you lose the signal or you get stuck in a traffic jam and the GPS doesn't route you around it. But a map might you might be able to look at a map and say, hey, we could take this little road here and go through a little town and have maybe a more pleasant ride. And again, as much as trips are about the destination, I feel like road trips, part of the fun is in the journey itself. I know growing up, we we would play family games of, you know, I spy or counting license plates, things like that, and just sort of making the, the drive itself part of that vacation. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, the journey is part of the fun and if you make it part of the fun. So you want to do things like that. We've also got a great story on Traveling Mom uh, with some unique car uh, games that you might not have thought of. But, you know, there's another thing to think about here, especially with gas prices so high. People are going to the gas station and just putting in the minimum because mm-hmm. they can't stand the idea of it costing $100. This is not the time to scrimp because you never know if you're going to end up in a traffic jam or a construction delay. And you just don't, I mean, running out of gas on the highway is going to be way worse than paying $100 to fill up the tank. So my recommendation is you never let it go below a half a tank when you're on a road trip because you never know where the next gas station is. Some great advice from Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of TravelingMom.com. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, how to financially prepare if you're worried about a job layoff or other event that could drastically reduce your income. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Having an emergency fund is an important part of any financial plan. We welcome Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer and wealth management group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Craig, this is especially true when we talk emergency funds, whether that be an unexpected large expense or or even layoffs. I know that that's something that not everyone wants to think about, but it's worth being prepared for. You know, preparedness and flexibility are mission critical. And not only do you have to have a budget and tell your money where to go, I love your opening comments. Having three to six months of money tucked away as that emergency fund is mission critical if you want to have peace of mind and remain calm regardless of what the economy throws at you and your family. How do you calculate how much you need then? Is it based on, like you said, your family or your lifestyle or certain things that you're expecting to happen in life? What factors are at play? Well, I mean, clearly it's unique as all of our names are to each of us. But at the end of the day, I use a very simple rule of thumb. If you are a statutory employee, if you have a W-2 job, you should really focus on trying to get three months worth of living expenses. But understand living expenses doesn't mean money for the Saturday pizza delivery, money for the bar, because when you have no job and you have no income, you're clearly going to cut back on meals and entertainment. So don't focus on the totality of your spending. Focus on rent, transportation, food, and health care. But if you work in the gig economy, you're a freelancer, an independent contractor, Three months is probably not going to get it done. You really need to focus on six when you're working as an independent business owner. So let's say I save up that money. I have it set aside. What might that look like? I'm not stuffing money under my mattress. I mean, I guess I could. But is it worth maybe a certain type of savings account where you're going to get more bang for your buck when it comes to this emergency fund? Well, let's be clear. The mattress, probably not a good alternative. You're right. Nor is the coffee can in the backyard, especially (laughs) if the neighbors might be looking. But I do think using a money market or maybe in today's environment, looking at a high yield savings account, you know, you can go online, find high yield savings accounts from a number of providers where the interest is still way less than inflation, but at least you're getting something that doesn't start with a decimal point. Also in the preparedness category, I have to think looking at your current debt situation because that's not going anywhere regardless of your employment status. No, and that's what causes all the problem. It's, you know, life is about cash flow. It's about dollars in and dollars out. And I make a gigantic argument time and time again, whether you're working towards retirement 
or you're trying to prepare for an economic slowdown, look to pay down that debt, whether you're using the avalanche method, whether you're using the snowball method, because if you're not levered to the monthly payments, you too can endure whatever this economy throws out. So find a method to tackle and permanently crush that debt side of the ledger. And again, that's all about the budget and having a command of our spending. Highlighting the importance of an emergency fund is Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of Wealth Management Group. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and on the Odyssey app. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T Mobile.com. 